0: We are in a really unique portion of the story. Sadly, it's the portion of the story that most of us are unfamiliar with. It's the portion of the story that is easily overlooked in children's books. It's easily forgotten when we begin to decorate children's rooms. This is the portion of the story where we really do have the mirror held up to show who we are in front of God. It's the portion of the story that we ignore and it seems to be the portion of the story that should matter the most for us. Because God's been moving us in a direction throughout the entirety of the book to see ourselves in the position of Jonah. And if you don't see yourself in Jonah's position, then you are misreading what's taking place in this text. That every one of us have in our hearts hate, And anger and rage and frustration. Every one of us at times can be frustrated with the God that we call uh, Jesus. Every one of us can, can look at God and think that he should do something other than what he has actually done. We look into Jonah chapter 4 and we've moved to the story. As we shared the other day, if I were to walk through the story again and allow you to fill in the blanks, you would tell me that Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish, or rather, Jonah wanted to go to Nineveh, but he did not want to go, so he went to a place called Tarshish. Or at least he attempted to. He was on a boat with some pagans. While he's on the boat with said pagans, they are riding from one place to the other. A great storm comes upon the water. Jonah tells the pagans, throw me overboard. When they throw him overboard, he's attempting to kill himself, in a sense. God won't let him. God sends a whale to swallow Jonah. When he sends the whale to swallow Jonah, Jonah's inside of the whale. Have a conversation with the Lord, every bit of his conversation with the Lord, tied to all of what Scripture has taught him. Multiple Psalms are quoted. He then is spat out by the whale. He goes to the city of Nineveh and he gives a terrible sermon. An absolutely pathetic sermon. When he finishes his pathetic sermon, he he notices that God turns the hearts of the Ninevites around. Notice what God's done thus far. He hurled a great wind onto the sea. The lot fell, fell on Jonah. The Lord appointed a fish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God intentionally intervening in the life of this runaway rebel prophet to get him to this place. Jonah chapter 4, read with me. I'll read out loud. Feel free to read silently. Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord. Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish. In the first place, I knew that your gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, just take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord asked Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and he found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came, God appointed a worm The worm attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. Then the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Well, yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and you did not grow. It appeared in night and it perished in the night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right and their left, as well as many animals. The Lord hurled a great wind, Jonah 1.4. The lot fell on Jonah, Jonah 1.7. The Lord appointed a great fish, Jonah 1.17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again in Jonah 3.1. And in chapter 4, the Lord appointed a plant, Jonah 4.6. God appointed a worm, verse 4.7. God appointed a scorching wind, Jonah 4.8. Jonah has been running from God. And all the while, God is showing him, as Pastor Ray Ortland says, The Lord has more ways of confronting us than we have ways of evading him. The Lord has more ways of confronting us than we have ways of evading him. What is he confronting Jonah about? Jonah's hard-hearted view toward the people of Nineveh and his bitterness towards God. God loves my enemies more than I hate them. That's kind of hard to wrestle with. That God would love our enemies more than we hate them. That God would love the people who we are in opposition to and who we believe are in opposition to us more than we despise them. So whatever rage and whatever fury or, and whatever ill will, because we, we are in Texas and we don't really use words like hate, but the people that you just don't go near, the people that are never going to turn around, The people that are never going to straighten themselves out. The neighbor who keeps being a problem for you. God loves them more than they frustrate you. God's been bringing Jonah to this place. God has been bringing Jonah to realize this. And he's bringing us to the exact same place. Now you see a recurring theme as we go through Jonah chapter 4. Three or four times it refers to Jonah being angry. Again, verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. I don't know what furious looks like for a prophet in the biblical time period, but I know what furious looks like in me and I would imagine you know what furious looks like in you. And the reason that he is furious is the same reason that most of us can become furious. Things did not go the way that we intended for them to go. Things did not go the way that we expected Things don't look the way that we think they should look. Jonah, in this fit of fury, is in this selfish place, and he prayed to the Lord. The word pray there is correct, but we notice that the tone of his prayer is one that seems almost incorrect. This Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? I fled to Tarshish because of this in the first place. I know who you are. You're gracious and you're compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and and one who relents from sending disaster. I know your character. I love the character of God. And I believe that any of us in a room like this who have had enough of an experience with Jesus to gather together regularly in this place, could affirm that these characteristics of God are beneficial and helpful and meaningful to us. That you can look at a time in your own life and you can say, This is where I noticed God's compassion. If that's you, could you raise your hand? You noticed there was a time for you where God was compassionate towards you. I know that God is gracious because I've got a moment where I remember that. Anybody? I know that God is merciful. Anybody? But here, Jonah uses the character of God as a weapon against God. He uses the very words of God from Exodus to speak ill of God. Because God was doing something that Jonah did not want God to do. I can't believe you're like this. All the while missing that Jonah's relationship with God was because God was exactly like that. All the while overlooking that what God was doing in Nineveh was exactly what God had done in Jonah. And if we are, un, if we are not careful, we will find ourselves in places... Where we are frustrated because God does in someone else what we trust as followers of Jesus that he has done in us. And that will frustrate us. You told me you would destroy them. But you're compassionate. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're full of, of all of these Elements, you're abounding in faithful love. You're one who relents from descending disaster. You told me that you were going to destroy them, but you are those things, and that's just pathetic. That's what Jonah says. Why are you so patient with them? And the reason that God is so patient with them is because that is tied to his very character that God is a God who is patient. Last week, we walked through a phrase in Hebrew, and you, you may remember that. My children remember that. They've talked to me about that more than any sermon I've ever preached. And it went a little bit like this. Ud, Abid, Unin, Nepochet. Now, now, we used that phrase last week. and after, Now, before I came in here, I went to the children who were kind of hanging out in the lobby. and said, hey, can I practice this with you? And they said, absolutely. We would love for you to practice your sermon with us. And I said it two or three times and they said, say it again, say it again, say it again. I, I felt like the, the hyenas in The Lion King. W- Noli looked at me and she said, Daddy, we're going to make a prank call and we want you to say that into the prank call. That would have been a pretty expensive phone call between the call and the time machine that I would have to get to call someone and them not know who I was. The word there... The last word, epochet, or epoche. It, it looks like a word that matters to any of us who can remember our late teens, early 20s. It looks like hot pocket. <laughs> hot pocket, Jim Gaffigan. We know that word. Now, to say it correctly, so just so that I can know your word, say hot pocket. Oh, man, church. Now, I want you to say hot pocket, but I want you to really put an emphasis on the H. Hot pocket. Like, sp- yeah, spit it out like that whale in Jonah. Now, I want you to say it without the T. Hot pocket. That's it. This weird growling term. It's a word for destroyed, but the literal translation is it means overturned. It's a word that's used to talk about destruction but it's also used to talk about other things. It's used to talk about turning something over. It literally reads turn over. It's used in multiple ways in the same way that we would use the word destroy in multiple ways. You know that. We all do. A bad use of the word destroy. The hailstorm destroyed my car. That's bad. A good use of the term destroy. Tennessee destroyed Missouri. That happened yesterday and it's been years. A good use of the term destroy? I destroyed that pizza at Growler's. A bad use of the term destroy. That Growler's pizza destroyed me. The word destroy there is used in multiple ways. Overturned, used in multiple ways. Here's an example. We see it here, and we see this is the way Jonah reads it. I want the city to be wiped out, destroyed. Turn it over. But in Psalm 30, verse 11, it reads this. I've got a, an example for that. It says, You turned, turned over, my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Same word used uniquely and differently. One commentator points out, Jonah, when he goes to the city of Nineveh and growls this pathetic sermon, is using destroyed in a way that says he wants to see them wiped out. But what we see God do in the end of this story is turn them over in a good way that displeases Jonah. Showing each and every one of us that that God will do miraculous things that may not be what we would necessarily want Him to do. And we have to, in some way, align our lives to trust the way that He does things is better. Verse 3, Now Lord, just take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than it is for me to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? God asks the simplest questions in the Bible. He asks questions that the people know the answers to. God asks these questions like, Adam, where are you? Adam knew where he was. Eve, what have you done? Apple, snake, naked. Abraham where have you come from and where are you going I would sold my wife to the Pharaoh and that's bad <laughs> Jacob what's your name <laughs> Moses what's that in your hand it's the staff Elijah what are you doing here Isaiah who, who shall I send send me send me Job, where were you when I made it all? Judas is asked of Jesus. Did you just betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jonah gets this question, Is it right for you to be angry? He knows the answer, but he's not going to say the answer because after all, he sees himself on the same level, playing field of God, and he just walks away. God's not asking questions that he knows the answers to. He's asking questions that the people know the answers to. And when God uses his word to formulate a question in us by the power of his spirit, he usually asks us questions that we know the answer to. Should you really do that? Why did you say that? Jonah... Is unique because his name means dove. It's the symbol for peace and faithfulness in the nation of Israel. But here in verse 4, the bird flies away. Doesn't even answer God, he just goes away. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to have a pity party. Jonah left the city, verse 5. He fled and found a, a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. My favorite phrase in the Bible, what would happen. Because it gets to, causes us to say well, what had happened was this. Maybe they're going to be wrecked, as my children like to say. Maybe that's what we're going to watch happen with Nineveh. I'm going to go sit on the hill, watch, and wait to see if this God will wipe these people out. It says he made a shelter. Now, words in the Bible mean things, and we should always explore in some sense why they would even use these words. It's literally the word booth in the passage. It's the idea that the Jewish people have of the festival of booths. So Jonah, a Jewish man, would build a booth that would be in some way similar to the booths that you see in the festival of uh, the booths in the Bible that you may read about in the New Testament. And that festival is a really important one because it celebrates the idea that the Jewish people spent time in the desert on their way to the promised land and that God protected them while they were in the desert. And he builds this booth to protect himself. But you've got this bird, this dove, who's furious and he looks and he's full of wrath and anger and he's under a booth. Now that festival is important. I don't want us to miss it. That festival is important because festival of booths for the Jewish people was a really important one because it was a time that they would build these booths and they would invite people of other nations Gentile nations to celebrate the faithfulness and the goodness of Yahweh so there is great irony in this passage that Jonah whose name means peace is acting in the most wrathful way builds a booth that is an invitation and is saying I want to exclude these people as a whole the Lord, appointed God, the Lord God appointed a plant. Some people believe it's a gourd. So in honor of hallelujah, we will call it a gourd. And it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head and to rescue him from his, there's the word again, trouble. Who's causing all of Jonah's trouble? Jonah. The attitude of his heart throughout this passage is causing him his trouble. God gives him direction, he says no. God sends him to tell these people about himself, and he says no. When he does go, he spits wrathful words. And when God doesn't do what he wants him to do, Jonah is full of this trouble. He's greatly pleased with the plant. Who doesn't like gourds? When dawn came the next day, he appointed a worm. It it reads little worm. The whole time it's been saying great, 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 great. We have a little worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. And he said again, it's better for me to die than it is for me to live. And here we see God intervene with another conversation point. Because up to this point, God has given shade and now he's going to throw it. In verse 3, Jonah wants to die because God would not destroy Nineveh. And now Jonah wants to die because God did destroy the plant. Jonah, you need to choose your lane to Tarshish and get things together. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry with the plant? Yes. Absolutely it's right. I'm angry enough to die. I don't know what that angry looks like. He's angry enough to die. Because God is compassionate, good, and full of grace. But He expects the same from His people. Family, do we see that God calls and expects us to be reflections of Him? To live in a way that resembles his compassion, grace, mercy, love. Do we see in this text that Jonah is, dealing, is getting dealt with by God, elevating his own desires and his own passion over what God and his kingdom would be? Jonah has been called to something greater. And he wants to settle for something less. And God is confronting Jonah for his wicked, nationalistic, racist heart. And Jonah wants nothing to do with it. Jonah, verse 10. You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and you did not grow. It appeared in a night, and it perished in a night. May I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left, as well as many animals. The, the end word there is actually cows. The city's full of cows and people. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. You care about the plant that you had nothing to do with. Why would I not care about these people who I have everything to do with? Because I'm not just the God of Israel. I'm not just the God of the Middle East. I'm not just the God of, of your small understanding of what Yahweh is, Jonah. I've been compassionate and gracious to you and, and my compassion and my grace and my patience are offered to the ends of the earth. Jonah, you as someone who walks with me are called to see what it means to be part of a greater kingdom who belongs to a greater king. Jonah, I called you to see all that I've done and all that I'm doing and I want you to walk in, in step with that and seeing that my kingdom is in con- contradiction to every other kingdom of the world. Because the kingdom of God does not walk in lockstep with any other nation in the entirety of creation. The kingdom of God will run contrary to the kingdoms of this earth. Every kingdom of this earth. Including at times the one in which we live. If you are struggling to understand that point, I want you to find me a president who doesn't misquote the Bible. You can find a president who misquotes the Bible with just a quick trip to YouTube. It's there. We are called as the people of God to a different kingdom, to a greater compassion, to a more unique mercy, to a focused fixation on the person of Jesus. Because this whole story about God's judgment and God's, and God's mercy, they have to come together somewhere. If they don't come together somewhere, this is a convoluted tale. But these stories come together in this crucifixion of Jesus where the mercy and judgment of God meet. And if we are going to say that we are gathered together around the cross as the people of Jesus, then we will meet there and we will get our directions and our understanding as to what it means to live. Not from every other voice in this world, but from that place and the voice that speaks to us there. The voice that invites us there. The voice that calls us home there. The voice that uses the words of Paul to give direction to the way that we are to live. When Paul would say this to those who would claim to follow after Jesus, I say this to you and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They become callous. They give themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Well, that sounds terrible. But for those who have met Jesus, that's not how you came to know him, assuming you heard about him and you were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. But you're to take off your what, former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You're called to put on a new self. One that is created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. The ironic thing about the story of Jonah is he is calling for Jonah to see Nineveh. And God is being patient with Nineveh. And the irony is all the while God is being patient with Jonah to see things the way that God sees things. Would we see the patience of God meeting us in that way? Calling us to see things in the way that God sees things. To love in the way that God loves. The book ends with the question. What about these people and these cows? But for Jonah, that message, as we said week one, is a mirror. And it's a mirror that we should use to see ourselves. He looks at his enemies and refuses to see himself. What if this week we just thought through the people in our lives that frustrate us and asked ourselves why? Why does that person drive me crazy? Why does that person act the way they act? Why do they do the things that they do but not stop there and begin to evaluate those things and see those things in ourselves Jonah here has met with the compassionate gracious good God of the Bible but he doesn't want to see that element of God for other people would we would we I want to pray for us this morning Father, you are good to us as a people. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way that you have, the way that you love through them, the way that you make yourself known and clear to the ends of the earth and to the community at large. Lord, I pray that we would personally have your heart toward our enemies. In whatever way you need to break and shape us to do that, we would ask that you would. I pray that we would, Lord, be grateful for the place that you've given us to live but see that you've called us to a bigger, better, greater kingdom. We would see our dual citizenship here. Father, I pray that we would find the frustrations that we have in others and, Lord, we would see that that's a window that you've given us to see ourselves. And move us more toward you. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you knew me, I'm in the back.